Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. It's LGBT Pride Month, and in spite of the pandemic, the queer community is marking the occasion in a bit more subdued manner. This hour, we've brought together LGBT activists from different generations to hear how the movement and the meaning of LGBT Pride have changed since the early days of the battle for rights and equality. Then a conversation with high school graduate Ahmed Mohammed. He's the first black male valedictorian at his school. Oakland Technical High School has been around for 106 years. And there's absolutely no way you can tell me I'm the first black person capable of being valedictorian. Right after the news on Forum. Welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. Well, June is LGBT Pride Month, and... While the pandemic has forced cancellation of the annual Pride Parade up San Francisco's Market Street, the community and its allies are still celebrating. In this hour, we wanted to bring together three different queer activists whose work spans the past five or so decades with plenty of progress and setbacks, but most of all, a huge number of changes regarding the political, legal, and cultural status of LGBT folks. Let me tell you who's here. Cleve Jones is author of When We Rise. He's also founder of the Names Project, the AIDS Memorial Quilt, and he's an organizer with Unite Here, a hospitality workers' union. Cleve, good morning. Good morning, Scott. Also with us, Honey Mahogany. She's the first black trans woman elected to public office in California. She's the newly elected chair of the Democratic Party in San Francisco. Honey Mahogany, good morning. Good to see you. And also with us, Jasmine Sudarkasa. She's executive director of the Curve Foundation. It's a nonprofit that empowers lesbian, queer, and trans women and non-binary people. And which also publishes Curve Magazine, which happens to be America's best-selling lesbian magazine. Jasmine, good morning to you as well. Hi there. Well, let me begin. I want to ask each of you, and I'll start with you, honey. Uh, what does Pride, LGBTQ Pride, mean to you in 2021? Well, 2021 has been, uh, well, we have a new start. I mean, I think 2020 was so rough. And 2021 in many ways kind of continued that, but I think we're finally, especially in San Francisco, really rounding that curve. And so Pride season uh, this year is um, an extra special celebration, even though we're not having the parade, there's so much going on. And I think, you know, here in San Francisco, we're actually gonna be um, pretty much almost getting back to normal next week um, when masks can officially be off. So um, 
I'm really excited. Um, it's time to celebrate. It's I'm, I'm excited to spend time with friends and community, listen to music, and go out there and dance. Cleve, thinking back to you know your first years in San Francisco when uh, Pride was something very different. Uh, how, how, listening to Honey and what she's how she's thinking about Pride, what, what what goes through your mind? Well, of course, I do think a lot about how different things are now. Uh, <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't called Pride then. It was called Gay Freedom Day. And uh, it, it was nothing like what we have today, with, especially with the huge corporate presence. Um, you know, I also can't help but be rather proud of how far we've come. And um, Honey Mahogany's election as chair of the party in San Francisco is, is a, a true milestone and one of many that I've been able to witness in my life. Uh, but it's tempered somewhat by the knowledge that even now, within a mile of where each of us is, uh, there is some kid, some queer or trans kid, who does not feel that they have a place in this world. And so we've made enormous strides politically, but culturally the fight goes on because too many young people are being told that they are not uh, worthy of existence. And the consequence of that is, of course, suicide and people who lose their way with uh, drug and alcohol abuse. And it, it still troubles me a lot. Jasmine, what about you? Yeah, I think I appreciate the nod to gay freedom because I think for me, pride means the freedom to be unapologetic and nuanced and complicated. And if you have that freedom, doing your best to protect that freedom for other people. I think uh, individual freedom has meant a lot over the last year as we've all been quarantined and sequestered community has meant something very different. And so I think the stories, the nuanced and beautiful stories that we share have mattered a lot. That definitely was the case in the case of Curve Magazine. And I think moving forward, it's gonna matter even more. So for me, it means having the right to tell my story, however complicated that it is. And once I have that right, doing my best to make sure that those around me in community have it as well. And Jasmine, I can remember, and Cleve can speak to this too, the earliest days of the movement. I mean, as Cleve said, it was called gay freedom. The, the word lesbian wasn't even in there. And there was much more of a separatism um, in so many different ways uh, between just, you know, gay men and lesbians. I'm wondering, how do you see that divide today, uh, if at all? Well, I think that the commercialization of pride has done a lot to lump the community together, but we've seen, you know, in the last year, the sort of cry for the support and rally around black trans women in particular, even from the lesbian community itself, um, have not been heard for a long time. And so I think while there is a new sense of unity, I think there's also a new sense of accountability between lesbians and gay men, certainly, but also trans women and non-binary people, trans men. Um, I think the community is figuring out how we organize around each other. Um, but there are definitely still fissures that have to be addressed. Honey Mogany, I can remember back in the, gosh, I guess it was the 90s, I was actually on the board of directors of the LGBT, what's now known as the, the, you know, the Pride Center on Market Street. And it hadn't been built yet, so it was very much a work in progress. And there was a lot of controversy back then about whether to even include the B in LGBT. Uh, how, how do you experience that inclusion versus exclusion today? That's a good question. I mean, I think that what I've seen, I can speak to San Francisco. I mean, I think in San Francisco, we have been very careful to 
especially right now in this moment, put trans people first. Um, I think that uh, there has been a lot of discussion around sort of um, who's the most vulnerable is and who we need to fight for right now. And I think, you know, trans people have been at the forefront and are at the forefront of a lot of policy considerations um, at the city level. And um, I think the community has really rallied around this epidemic of murders of specifically trans women of color that we're seeing across the country. Um, And so I feel really empowered by that and supported by that. And yet I I will say that that work is not easy. Um, I think that there are a lot of, we see pushback all across the the country around, um, I think specifically, um, there's a little bit of white fragility, right? I mean, I think that there are some, you know, white gay men that are sort of pushing back and saying like, well, hey, what about us? Like we're important too, and we struggle too. And and so there is that conversation there, but overwhelmingly, I think San Francisco is getting it right and really um, investing in those who need the most support. Cleve, in those early days, uh, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, uh, even into the 80s, the movement was largely white men. And partly that was because I think there were some economic, socioeconomic differences, but obviously it was more than that. Um, What's your recollection of how that was all negotiated uh, at the time or even discussed, or was it just not really even on the agenda? Oh, no, it was on the agenda. Um, We recently lost... uh, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Ken Jones, who, uh, you know, he was fighting that fight. And I think he, if you look at the inclusivity now represented, particularly in the pride, uh, parade organization, uh, before Ken, that was pretty much an entirely white group. And then after Ken, you began to see, uh, much more representation. There were obvious advantages, privilege, uh, for, white middle-class background people. And I think many uh, people from communities of color were struggling against so, on so many different fronts that it was, it was more difficult for them to be represented and heard. We've made progress, but we're nowhere near you know, where we ought to be. Yeah. And, and Jasmine, um, what, when you look back at history uh, or think about it, uh, what do you feel like you have learned from, you know, all the, the generations of LGBT uh, activists that came before you? And, and what do you feel like they, should, they can learn from you? Sure. I mean, I think what I've learned is that the sort of liminal space that defines queerness these days is something that I've taken for granted for a long time and that a lot of folks had to really fight to be heard. I think most notably about Sylvia Rivera's 1973 speech, interrupting pride, actually saying, I'm here. Don't forget about me. Don't forget about the women in prison. Um, And that wasn't easy. And I think the romanticization of her story and so many others made me think that a lot of this was going to be easy, but I understand a little differently what it means to stand in the in-between. And I think the magazine has helped me understand what that means as an institution and as a commitment. Um, I think what folks can learn from me or from us, the begrudged millennials, um, is that we have to be accountable to each other and we actually have to be thoughtful about how we interact and coexist. In the context of the magazine, I think we realized as a team that intersectional voices were kind of lost in the public face of Curve. So you know, what are the ways that we can make room to hear from those we didn't hear from and be accountable to the fact that we willingly made a choice not to hear from them? Um, And that's difficult, but I think it's something that's possible and something that has to happen. And what do you mean by we need to be accountable to each other? 
I think it means that we have to be unafraid to say I'm sorry in a way that is genuine. I think we have to listen when folks say they feel left out or they feel that they're not being heard and not try to uh, respond right away. And I think tangibly in the case of the magazine, we need to elevate the voices of writers that may not have been visible in the past. Um, and that means both investing in them financially and making sure that they are heard. Hmm. And Cleve, what about you? What, when you think about uh, the, the, the tactics and the, I mean, it, obviously it's apples and oranges because uh, activists in the 60s and 70s were sort of starting from zero in some ways. I mean, they were, it was illegal still to be gay, to have gay, uh, you know, sex between people of the same sex, same gender. Um, so it's a little hard to compare the two. But when you Look at what uh, what activism looks like looks like today. Uh, what do you feel like? Uh, you know, what goes through your mind in terms of what, you know what you what you've learned? Well, I've learned that uh, you know change is possible and progress can happen. But uh, I think for younger people, and certainly this was the case in my youth, uh, you know, there's a great impatience, and that's good. We want people to be impatient. We want them to push, but. I think people have to understand that to really get where we want to go, this is a multi-generational effort that's going to continue long past all of us on this uh, call are are gone. uh, Because every victory we win is not necessarily permanent. So much of this can be rolled back. And during the, the four years of the previous administration, I think many of us saw with great clarity how easily all of what we had accomplished and dreamed of could be swept away. So I think we need to still be vigilant and be prepared to fight very hard if we need to. I would say one other thing, though, that um, I I think that the movement uh, has grown very introspective and uh, kind of uh, inwardly directed in a way that is Maybe necessary in a way that is not true in other yeah. minority groups. Let me let me stop you there. About hold, us. hold that thought because we have to take a break. We'll come back to it. We're going to continue our conversation with Cleve Jones, Honey Mahogany, and Jasmine Sudarka. So we'd love to hear from you. What does LGBT Pride mean to you in this year? Give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour. We're talking about LGBT Pride Month and what it means in 2021, this very odd moment we're in coming out of a pandemic. We're uh, joined by Cleve Jones, author of When We Rise, also founder of the Names Project, AIDS Memorial Quilt, uh, and Honey Mahogany, the new chair of the Democratic Party in San Francisco County, and Jasmine Sudarkisa. She is the executive director of the Curve Foundation. We'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts about the movement, activism, and some of the controversies, which we'll get into in just a moment, around the parade? We already touched on the idea of 
the corporatization of the Pride Parade. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or if you like, email. It's forum at KQED. Cleve, just before the break, I interrupted you. You had a thought about uh, sort of the inward focus of the movement. Um, Finish your thought, if you would. Yeah, thanks. Uh, You know, one of the realities about our our very sprawling, diverse, and and complex communities is that our people, the people now called LGBTQ+, are born into every skin color, families of every faith background, every economic status, uh, every ethnicity, every gender. We just, uh, we are in fact everywhere. And that is simultaneously a source of great strength for our movement, but it also presents real complex challenges as we continue to struggle to define ourselves to respect each other, to understand each other, when we come from such an array of backgrounds and lived experiences. It it is difficult. And right now, I think we're going through a period that is very introspective. Uh, I don't know of any other group of people that every generation has to have arguments about, even just the words we use to describe who we are. And it's complex, and it requires a great deal of patience and uh, the ability to really listen to each other carefully. I'm going to bring in a fourth voice. Alex Lee is an assemblyman from the South Bay. He's the state's first openly bisexual member, as well as its first first Gen Z representative. He was elected last year at age 25, making him the youngest California lawmaker in 82 years. Assemblyman Lee, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. So, of course, when you got elected, the, the, what I just said was was the headline. Uh, this guy who's 25, he's Asian-American, he's openly bisexual, first-gen Z representative. That That's what the headline was. You've been up in Sacramento a while now. Uh, what kind of reception have you gotten? Well, it's definitely a mixed bag, right? There's definitely a lot of uphill battles we've had where we're fighting for big progressive change for all our community. That's uh, had some setbacks, but at the same time, I think people are very glad that there's new uh, new perspectives in the Capitol as well. What kind of setbacks are you referring to? Well, um, slightly unrelated to the bigger topic we're talking about, but you know, we championed big things like a wealth tax, which I know the show talked about recently that has not had a hearing yet. We're championing single-payer healthcare so everyone can have healthcare and they have not gone as far yet in the process as we'd like, but I'm confident they will in time. Do you feel like there you're raising issues up there in the Capitol that others wouldn't be thinking about or be ready to talk about uh, based on your age alone? Well, I think definitely with the kind of Gen Z kind of perspective in it, we understand that there's a lot of crises we did not create, but we were born into, but we certainly have a rush to fix these things or else we're going to have to live with them. So I think that kind of sense of, I've been told the impatience for change is something I certainly bring. Is the impatience, are you hearing, you know, sort of a, you have to wait your turn or you don't understand the way this place works, you know, kind of that sort of condescension in a way? Oh, yeah, I certainly hear that. I heard that since the day I uh, ran for office when I beat all the odds and people didn't think I was going to win. It's the same case in the Capitol where people don't think we're going to win with the policy we're pushing. And, you know, there is certainly some infantilization and uh, ageism that exists, but certainly something we push past all the time. Cleve Jones, you worked up in the Capitol uh, when you were 
it, probably around Alex's age, Alex Lee's age, Assemblyman yeah. Lee's age, uh, working for Art Agnos, who was an assemblyman up there. Um, I don't imagine you worked with a lot of legislators who were in their 20s. Oh, uh, the, the, the faces of the legislature have certainly changed. Uh, <laughs> when I was working up there also, uh, just being an, uh, an out gay staffer was still like, you know, very unusual and um, that's one of the areas where I do think that we, we see real progress. There's much more representation. There's much more diversity and inclusion. But I'm also always, you know, eager to remind folks that diversity and inclusion alone are not sufficient, and they are not, in fact, the end goal. Hopefully, diversity and inclusion will move us forward towards the real goal, which is justice and peace and the ability to live together on a healthy planet and share it without war. So, you know, uh, listening to the representative, I, I just, it's good that we, we, as a community, as a people, also take on these bigger picture issues. We have a, a, a stake in all of the, these things. In my union, for example, we, we work very hard on immigration issues. And there is an LGBTQ part of the immigration story. Uh, so I'm always hopeful that uh, people can do what Harvey, my, my mentor, did, was to find common ground where we can work together and, and cross some of these boundaries and barriers that we create between each other. Harvey, of course, Harvey Milk. Uh, Honey Mahogany, what are your thoughts about that, that, you know, kind of working together sort of not forgetting, certainly, and even highlighting differences, but also finding the common ground without excluding people who, you know, may disagree. And it seems like sometimes in San Francisco, there's a pretty narrow range of what is acceptable in terms of points of view. Well, I mean, I think that's true. I think that we in San Francisco um, try and have a lot of uh, we, we push very hard towards the left. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think that we um, have a lot of very important conversations, but I do agree that I think it's about intersectionality and making sure that we're looking at different points of view and really understanding the complex landscape in which you know we find ourselves in. I think that there, um, you know, for immigration is a great example. There are a lot of LGBT people coming here to seek asylum, just as there are a lot of people of color, um, people who are Muslim, people who are from um, the Americas who come here for uh, to seeking political refuge. So these are all really important things that we have to learn how to talk about and hold at the same time. And I think that goes to what uh, Jasmine was saying earlier as well. And Assemblyman Lee, uh, you represent several different groups, as I think all of you do in some way, certainly Honey and Jasmine do. Um, you are bisexual, you're young, you're Gen Z, uh, you're Asian American. Uh, how do you, uh, does that play out in your day-to-day -day life at the Capitol, or are you just a, another, you know, one of 80 members of the Assembly trying to get something done? Well, it absolutely plays out. I think the great strength of our LGBTQ plus community is that we all, by by definition, live very intersectional lives. So I am young, I am API, I am also bisexual, and all those things inform how I vote on things, how I approach problems. And I think that's invaluable because we don't live, you know, the sync. we're not just queer at one moment, we're not just Asian, or we're not just, you know, whatever uh, identity we feel at the moment. But there's a lot of different things that play into decisions working. And that's why, like Lee was talking about, it's important to include and have more diverse voices and have more good representation, but ultimately that should be towards justice 
And a lot of that sometimes is challenging in the assembly where we don't get all the justice we should be getting. I want to bring uh, our listeners into this. And again, the number to call if you want to join this conversation, it's 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or reach out on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Let's go up to Forestville. Rhiannon, you're first. Hi, thank you so much for having this conversation. Um I had to call in because um, I'm 34 and I just came out to myself as queer. And I think part of um, the why it took a bit longer um, to identify that part of me is that I've been in a heterosexual relationship um, since I was 17. And um, my partner is just the love of my life. And I would love to hear the um, panel speak to how I can be part of the queer community, regardless of who my partner is. Well, I, and I want uh, I want them to weigh in on that. But let me just ask you, what was it that finally uh, you know made you decide to come out? Um, a confluence of things. Um, my best friend <laughs> coming out as queer. Um, realizing um, that I can be both, right? And that the that identity is about me and not about who my partner is. Um, and also realizing that what has my whole life felt like anxiety and discomfort in myself um, was because I wasn't... Um, acknowledging who I really was. Hmm. Uh, Jasmine, um, what, uh, what, what goes through your mind as you're listening to Rhiannon as a young uh, queer person yeah. coming out later, a little bit later in life, I guess, by today's standards? Yeah, well, first I want to say congratulations. I think that's a really important and powerful moment for anyone. And so I think speaking about it on the radio is a really powerful way of confronting that. And I think exactly this, queer stories. Um, you know, I think that's the purpose of the magazine was to tell the sort of everyday ordinary joys of lesbian women and create a space for us to tell our stories that wasn't only about suffering or our political inclinations. And so to your question about how you might connect with a community, find the stories that move you. I came out actually online on a website called autostraddle.com. I wrote an essay during Black History Month, and that was my coming out story. And I was 25. So I don't think there's a way to do it. I think, though, it can be intimidating to find your people. So I would say, look for the media, look for the stories that you connect to, and find folks who connect to them as well. And Cleve, I know you spent a lot of time not far from Forestville and Guerneville up in Sonoma County. Um, what's the community like up there in terms of being welcoming and supportive for people who are newly out, but not, you know, not like in their teens or 20s? Well, uh, this is an odd community up here, and we face all sorts of challenges from wildfires to floods to influxes of tourists during COVID lockdown. But I think the community here is very, very welcoming. Um, we do suffer, though, from a lack of organized social support uh, for people like the caller, for our, our younger people up here. And that's exacerbated by the lack of economic opportunity for young people. So um just in the 
time that I've spent up here, I've seen quite a few of the younger queer and particularly trans kids who just feel like they have to get out of here. And it's not so much because necessarily of uh, hostility, but lack of opportunity and lack of organized support services. And this to me uh, is something I think, you you know, you and I have spoken about before. And I think one of the issues that the community ought to be thinking about, particularly during Pride Month, but all the time, is the the end of the neighborhoods as we knew them. The reality is that the geographic concentrations of LGBTQ people, uh, these are, people are being dispersed uh, due to technology, due to greater acceptance, but it's primarily driven by economics and the fact that um, the, the neighborhoods where we have lived in great numbers traditionally have become extremely expensive. So when when we lose these neighborhoods, we lose the political uh, power that comes from occupying certain precincts, being able to elect our own, defeat our enemies, pass legislation. We lose the cultural vitality that happens when creative people are in proximity to each other. And we can lose the ability to provide the really needed social services to the most vulnerable among us, our kids, our trans friends, HIV uh, positive people, senior citizens, so that's a conversation I wish I'd hear more about, uh, not just from our, our leaders, but everyone in the community. We need to be thinking about our future. And Rhiannon, I think you alluded to being in a relationship with a, a, a heterosexual, with a man. Uh, how How is he dealing with this, and how do you see that going forward? Oh, um, <clears throat> I... I came out to him in a love letter and I told him that this changes nothing, but it changes everything. He's extremely supportive and um, uh, wasn't surprised. <laughs> I think I'm one of the only people that have been <clears throat> excuse me, surprised and um, so far that I've come out to. And um, I, I don't think it changes anything with our relationship. I think it'll be interesting to navigate um, the assumptions that are made about my identity because of my relationship with him. But as a a friend and mentor shared with me that um, my my queerness isn't about who I sleep with, it's about me. Hmm. Well, thank you for your courage and congratulations on coming out. And I wish you the best. and, And thanks so much for calling in. Thank you. This is really meaningful. Good. Have a great weekend. Uh, Let me read some comments from your listeners here. Jeffrey writes, uh, At the second Gay Freedom Day, my friend Beverly and I marched with a big sign saying, I talked with God and she's on our side. Memory from Gay Freedom Day, years past. Um, Another listener writes, It is wonderful that the community is inclusive. I'm curious, though, what is LGBTQ plus? What's the plus? Uh, Honey, you want to take that on? Well, I think that there um, has been so many things that we've added, you know, LGBTQII2SA. Um, and so I think the plus is really just LGBTQ and everything else. And, and the everything else is what? Um, so it, you know, two-spirit, um, intersexed, uh, uh, well, queer is already in there, um, asexual, ally, all of those things, and I think I'm probably missing a couple. Okay. I want to throw something out here, an issue that uh, has really changed over the years, and that is the relationship between the community, the LGBT community, and the police. Um, Obviously, uh, I mean, Cleve Jones, when you were 
first in San Francisco. You, Harvey Milk was assassinated. Uh, he got a very light sentence. Uh, I think voluntary manslaughter was out of prison in five years. And there were riots in the Castro. And then the police were rioting, essentially. Um, talk about you know, a little bit about that night, but also how your thoughts about the police uh, have changed in the last several decades. Well, I don't know that my attitudes about the police have changed that much, but, uh, you know, many people don't really know the backstory of, about the murders of Harvey Milk and George Moscone, and, and part of the context of that was the uh, consent decree ordering desegregation of the SFPD, which at that time was almost entirely white men. Uh, it, the department was completely dominated particularly by Irish and Italian Catholics. And there was very, very little support for the handful of black officers. Uh, I don't think there were any Asian Americans on the, on the force at that time. Very few women and, of course, uh, no openly gay people because it, it you know, was still illegal. So uh, there was a great deal of mistrust and hostility. Now, we... We had a strategy then to really try to desegregate the police department and the fire department, I should say. Uh, there was a, a pioneer in this effort named Les Morgan. And once the laws changed, uh, there was an effort to recruit people to sign up and be, join the police department from our community. And I, I do remember uh, at some rather raucous protest, I think it was during one of the AIDS uh, conference where a group of us that were about to commit civil disobedience came up against a line of police officers with batons, and I'm looking at the faces of the cops, and I realized that quite a few of them are, are people I, I, I knew in the bars. Uh, <laughs> but the, the reality is that the, there are things about the police department that have not changed yeah, and, and need I, to change. I, and so, I want to talk about that because it's become a big controversy in New York City with the Pride Parade there. We need to take a break. We'll come back, continue our conversation, and give us a call. If you would, it's 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Also, Twitter and Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or email us if you prefer. It's forum at kqed.org. Scott Schaefer here for the rest of this hour, and we'd love to have you join the conversation. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. We're talking about LGBT pride. It is Pride Month here in California. With us, Cleve Jones from the uh, Names Project, AIDS Memorial Quilt, also an organizer with Unite Here. Uh, Also, Honey Mahogany, the new chair of the Democratic Party in San Francisco. Jasmine Sudarkisa is the executive director of the Curve Foundation. And Alex Lee, a new member of the state legislature, the assembly to be exact, from the South Bay. Give us a call if you'd like to join us. What does LGBT pride mean to you? 
And have your own views about gay rights changed, LGBT rights? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. We were talking uh, at the break about the police department, and Cleve had been saying that there was a big effort in the 70s and the 80s, and even now, to recruit a more diverse force, and it has been largely successful. Uh, In New York City, Honey Mahogany, there is, of course, a big controversy about whether uh, openly queer cops ought to be able to march as a contingent in the Pride Parade. Um, There's a lot of disagreement about that. What do you think? I mean, I think here in San Francisco last year, the Pride organizers decided that, you know, uniformed officers could not march as a contingent here. And I think this really has to do with the history of, of Pride, you know, and, I, and, and also though a connection to this moment. I think that we are seeing a moment that is somewhat similar to the 60s right now um, in 2020 and continuing on into 2021, where we're really coming to terms with some of the oppression that's been put pushed onto our communities, specifically communities of color um, by the police. And so um, I think it's an acknowledgement of that, of the, you know, sort of, you know, basically state sanctioned violence, right? Um, that our community is experiencing and honoring that experience and saying, hey, you know, it's nice that you want to march with us, but, you know, we're not just a photo opportunity. We're about um, coming together as a community and fighting for our human rights and our lives and the lives of our loved ones. And so um, until, you know, um, police officers across the country can say like, yes, Black Lives Matter. Um, and yes, like we have done wrong in the past and we want to move forward and are changing the way in which they operate. And uh, I, I don't think that they should be welcomed to march in pride in uniform because that symbol of that is a symbol of oppression for much of our community. And in fact, our entire the entire parade is really based on um, uh, the community uprising against police violence. So I just I think that we need to remember that. And I think that we need to see how that still plays out today. And, and then I think we can understand why people don't want to see police marching in uniform at Pride. But how, how does that square with what you were saying earlier about the need to have like a, a space for conversation and a place for understanding and disagreement? Because, you know, you may be wearing a uniform, but you're also you don't leave your sexual identity behind. You're still queer uh, and you still presumably care about LGBT rights. Well, you know, there's nothing that says that uh, police officers can't march in the parade. It's just in uniform. And I think it's really important that we think about the symbolism of that, right? Um, As a police officer, absolutely. As a person, as a human being, you are, you have intersecting identities. You are a complex individual person. You are queer. You are welcome to be a part of the parade and, and you are definitely a part of our community. However, that symbol of putting on the uniform means a lot of really, really harmful things. Um, And also, um, you know, I think that there is a real concern around, again, complicity and ignoring and glossing over the fact that there has been this violence against our community. Jasmine, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think the angle that I would take is I actually don't think that this conversation is as new as it's been made to seem. I think the difference is that more marginalized voices in our community have been foregrounded. And so they are able to dictate a little bit more of sort of what the political questions are of the day. And I say that because it's well documented that Stormy DeLarvery, who was a butch lesbian, was being attacked by police when Stonewall started. And it's a story that's often lost over the ages, but it's something that many butch lesbians, trans people, non-binary folks, lesbians themselves have experienced, and they just haven't necessarily been able to steer the movement. And so I just think we have to be careful in rewriting history to say, well, this is a new conversation or this is a Black Lives Matter instigated conversation. It's not. It's just an opportunity for those to 
express themselves really that haven't had that choice. Now, something that we have to wrestle with as a community is the fact that law enforcement has long made itself available to non-binary people as a viable form of employment to gay people. It has been a space that one way or another, particularly for gay and queer women, has made a space for their masculinity. And so there is a there is a high amount of people of that identity that sit in these seats and have fought for liberation and have a right to be heard. But that means the conversation has to happen in community as well, um, and not just one that's happening in the media, <laughs> as I say this on the media. So I think there's, there's nuance needed, but I definitely, I just don't think this is a new conversation. Do you have mixed feelings, uh, given what you just said about uh, police departments, fire departments, sheriff's departments, of uh, making that space for, you know, women in particular um, to then ex- turn around and, you know, support excluding them from a parade? I, I have mixed feelings about excluding anyone who sees themselves in our community from the ability to be proud of who they are. But I also have very strong feelings about a need to address violence in our policing. And so I think it's complicated. And I think the purpose of the foundation is to create space for these complicated conversations. But I would stand behind the fact that I don't think anyone who sees himself in this community should be excluded. But I don't know necessarily that you have to wear a uniform to feel included. Yeah. Um, Somebody, Lee, I'm going to let you go in a second. But before I do, I mean, you're up in Sacramento at a time when uh, violence, hate crimes against API folks uh, is, you know, extremely concerning. There are many uh, bills on criminal justice reform that have been, some have died, some have passed, many have been amended to sort of water them down a bit. How do you see this issue as somebody who's up there dealing with, uh, with bills and uh, lobbyists and so on? Yeah, I think as everyone else has kind of put on the panel really well is, you know, policing historically, uh, there's a symbol or an actuality, very much so, has been oppression. I mean, for a long, long, long time, for most of the country's history, you know, being queer, being gay, being LGBT was a crime and the police were the mechanism to enforce it. That's why we got Stonewall, the Stonewall riots, and why now we have so many Democratic clubs and clubs out there that celebrate the name of Stonewall and why we celebrate the figures in it. And so it's important to remember that even when we have you know, these outward celebrations of our mainstreaming and co-option of, of pride right now and being LGBTQ, we have to remember that the struggle is not gone yet. Still police injustice persists. And just because there are people that are more diverse doesn't mean they can't uphold the system that is unjust. So I'm really committed to doing that up there with a lot of my assembly colleagues to really undo the, un- the, har- the harmful legacy that exists. All right. Sammy Manley, I'm going to let you go. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this hour. Um, We have a few minutes left here. And before uh, we move to our next guest and a different topic, I just want to ask each of you, and the Assemblyman sort of alluded to it uh, a moment ago, which is, you know, I think my sense is that a lot of um, people feel like, oh, you know, the the battle for gay rights is over. You know, you got marriage, you know, we now trans and LGBT people generally are protected from employment discrimination. You know, there's not a lot of fights left. Um, I know that's not the case. But Cleve Jones, what do you see uh, as the, the frontier? You know, what is the what is the battle in front of the LGBT community now, legally, politically, culturally? I think the main uh, battles are cultural and trying to push back against the really uh, harmful effects of some of the religious doctrination that leads our young people to kill themselves and leads other young people to attack us. Um, but speaking more broadly, I, I look forward to a time when 
the people now called LGBTQ can, you know, take our rightful place in the ranks of everybody that's fighting for justice and to save the planet and to address the incredible gap between rich and poor. And I, I do want to make one quick point about the police issue in New York. The, the organization that is fighting to march in uniform is called the Gay Officers Action League, and I would have far more sympathy for their position if uh, their Twitter feed or Facebook page showed the slightest indication of any concern whatsoever about the ongoing level of violence directed by police against people of color. But they are absent from that debate. So, you know, yeah, you want to march, but where are you on this issue? And I'm pretty angry about it because one of my good friends, somebody that I, I think you probably know, Scott, uh, had his son killed. Sean Monterosa was killed mm -hmm. by the police in, in the Bay Area, in, in, in Vallejo, Vallejo yeah. and there still is no justice. So people have a right to be angry about this. Yeah. Honey, what about you, uh, Honey Mahogany, the, the frontier for the issues that uh, we're talking about today? I mean, I think it's, it's right now, nationwide, there is this sort of crazy amount of pushback against, against trans rights, against the trans community. And so um, I, I don't know if that's a new frontier, but that's definitely a battle that we're going to have to fight um, and continue to fight. I, I agree with Cleve. I think that um, we have made a lot of progress, um, specifically here in San Francisco, but even culturally. And yet I think that there is still a culture war that's very much happening and that the nation is very much still divided. Um, you know, our rights don't end with gay marriage. Um, uh, there are bills out there to ban us from accessing bathrooms, um, accessing healthcare, accessing um, emergency housing services. And so really fighting, continuing to fight and push back and make sure that um, we um, have equal rights for everyone. Well, I just want to wrap up this segment with a comment from a listener who writes, I have walked in the parade. I'm not LGBTQ, but walk with PFLAG, the ally support group of the community and the love and outreach from spectators on the sidelines was amazing. I cried with a father who called me over and shared that his son was gay and seeing the support from allies made him so happy for his child. I can't wait for the parade, the parade to get back again on Market Street. And I'm sure a lot of us feel that way as well. I want to thank all of you for joining us for this segment. Cleve Jones, Honey Mahogany, Alex Lee earlier, uh, Jasmine Sudarkasa. Uh, and um, uh, thank you great, uh, thank you all. Have a great Pride weekend and the rest of the month as well. And uh, stay safe. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.